0: yeah sorry for the word noises it's uh they told me I couldn't have a walkout song and I really wanted a walkout song so but I guess I get it because it's like you know it's not about me or whatever you know so (laughs) I thought I'd uh yeah so actually the reason I thought of walkout songs I did like I wrestled in high school and like I had one opportunity. I, okay, yes, thank you, thank you. So our our team is really good, but I wasn't that good. Uh, and so I only I had one opportunity to, like, wrestle at the varsity tournament where all the lights were on, on the, the middle of the thing. They had a spotlight, and they would, like, play the walkout songs. And I was, like, so excited, and then I, they didn't play my song. Okay, so... This is going to, like, reveal something, you know, like, that I'm kind of a nerd or whatever. But I wanted to play, like, the th- that song from Star Wars when they, like, are fighting Darth Maul. I don't know. It's like... Because I wanted the person I was wrestling to think, like, this guy is weird, you know? <laughs> I wanted him to be, like, concerned. So, anyways, uh, yeah, that was, that was a long thing that I just said. Uh, but, yeah, my name's Seth. Uh, I'm I'm on staff here at Salt Company. I typically am playing the keys or playing the, the old acoustic, you know. And occasionally, I'll knock over a mic stand. Don't tell my mom. Uh, actually, <laughs> I did tell my mom, so you can tell her if you want. But you'll probably never see her. So a little, bit, a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa, where the Salt Conference is. Yeah? Yeah, it's some Des Moines. You guys lived in Des Moines for a while. Yeah, the Des Moines, Des Moines the city that never sleeps, you know, like the... The shining light of Iowa. Honestly, it's awesome. So I would encourage you guys to sign up for the SALT conference. It's going to be sick. Uh, It might be a little bit cold, but it'll be good. So yeah, Sierra and I, my wife's name is Sierra. She's right there. I don't have a picture of her, but she's the blonde one that's way out of my league. Uh, And I'm self-aware. Don't worry. I I understand. I get it. Uh, Twos can get tens. Twos can get tens. Yeah. That's what I I have to say that every day. Just kidding. Um... So we moved to help start Salt Company and Mercy Hill. And it's been awesome. It's been it's been so cool just to, to get to know you guys um, and just to hear your stories and already see just the amazing thing God's doing on, on, on this campus and in UC and in Xavier um, in, in this city. Like we had an awesome baptism service a few weeks ago that was just sweet. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So I also I'm a I'm a full stack developer for for Kroger now. I just I'm gonna start that next week, actually. So uh, that Basically, that means I code. I'm a programmer. So if you ever if you like to code, Ethan, yeah. let's talk shop sometime. You know, I like to talk shop. Uh, <laughs> you also might see me, uh, you know, rocking some Kroger swag. Hashtag roll Krogs. That's right. I'm going to start that. Uh, my Insta bio back in junior high was God, music, sports, and froth. So <laughs> I should tell you all you need to know about me. I think that pretty much stands still, except for maybe the sports part. Uh, <laughs> Although disc golf is a, is a sport. So a quick story, super brief. At uh, some point when I was young, between the ages of like 1 and 13, somewhere in there, I was, I was almost hit by a tree, but it didn't hit me. So yeah, that's the story. And it's probably the coolest thing. It's honestly probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, and that's why I had to share it, even though it really doesn't have anything to do with the passage that we're going over tonight. But speaking of that passage, though, you like that transition? Yeah. Hashtag first sermon ever. Uh, so the passage of the Bible we're going to be going to, to be reading through tonight is Genesis 42 through 45. And this is basically, it's going to take us to the end of Joseph's journey. If you haven't been with us for the past month or so, we've been, we've been hearing the story of this man that lived at the time of the Bible. His name is Joseph. Uh, I'm going to get into more detail about Joseph's life later, but basically his life sucked. Like it just was thing after thing in his life that just... It was terrible, and it was so painful for him, and, and during what was happening, it, it really wasn't clear to him why these terrible things were happening in his life. But toward the end of his journey, it becomes clear to him that his suffering and, and everything that bad that happened to him, it was all part of, of a bigger plan that God had for actually delivering hundreds of thousands of people through a severe famine. So man. The text that we're going to be looking at tonight, it specifically puts a magnifying glass on Joseph's response. So after living that life, how is Joseph responding? And as we've been reading this, it is such a relatable story. Just hearing all the painful and terrible things are happening in Joseph's life. I'm sure it has been relatable for you guys too. And it breaks my heart just to think about how much pain is in this room. I don't have to talk to every one of you to know that you guys have walked through painful situations in your life. Some of you have been utterly devastated. And you, when it's happening and and these these terrible experiences, it's usually never clear why it's happening. But Joseph's story, gives us hope. It gives us hope that God can redeem even the most terrible situations in our life. Because God did that through Joseph's. So we can learn from Joseph's response to his life but ultimately for those of us that, that are in Christ we we have an ultimate hope that, that will carry us through the hard situations in our life. But before we resume this story we'll, we'll get back into it. Let's pray first. Pray with me. God thank you so much for being a God that that is always working for our good. God, we can, never, we can never question your love for us because you have proven over and over again that you love us so much. God, I pray that this story and hearing the end of it would, would just encourage everyone in this room and remind us that you are always working for our good and that there is no, there's no situation too terrible for you to redeem. God, I pray that you would speak through me, that it would be you talking and not me. And and thank you for everything that you've taught me as I've been studying this word. And I, I pray that we would just be moved by it. We love you. Amen. So, okay, before we open the Bible, before we get too antsy, I'm going to get everybody up to speed on what's happened in Joseph's life so far. Because, you know, it's been a few weeks, I don't know about you guys, but everything that happened like three weeks ago, I have no idea what happened. It's just like a big black hole maybe I should get that checked out. But anyways, that's not really true. I do remember like big things like marrying Sierra and stuff. So (laughs) Dylan started us off like a month ago, talking about the beginning of Joseph's story. He got us kicked off. Joseph was one of 12 sons of a guy named Jacob. His dad heavily favored him in a bad way. uh, And he was totally the favorite. uh, And He got like a sick coat from his dad that looked really cool. He he even had dreams that his brothers were bowing down to him. And he he would just rub it in their faces because he was kind of an arrogant loser, honestly, at this point in the story. And his brothers, they got so fed up and jealous of him that they plotted to kill him. But instead, they just sold him into slavery. And this part just blows my mind. Just thinking about, I have brothers. Just picturing myself, you know, in this place that's supposed to be a safe place. And, and I'm trusting my brothers and to have them be the ones that betray me and sell me into slavery. Like, I can't imagine what Joseph was thinking at this point. So after that, he was taken to Egypt as a slave. but he kind of rose, to the ranks, rose through the ranks as a slave, um, was able to oversee a lot of the, the slave owner's uh, life that he was owned by. Um, and that's because he was faithful to God and God blessed him. And uh, things seemed to be going good until he was falsely accused of sexually assaulting his slave owner's wife, and he was thrown into prison. And prison it had to be bad, because you know, all the all the gruel sandwiches and, and dementia's flying all over the place. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> probably shouldn't say that. Uh, but for real though, prison, like at the time, it was probably terrible. It was you know prison wasn't wasn't how it is now i mean i'm sure it's terrible now but you know you get what i'm saying it was it was probably hopeless for for joseph to be in this spot especially being in there for a crime he didn't commit a heinous crime i can't imagine what he was feeling but joseph had this ability to interpret dreams which was a gift that god gave him and after interpreting pharaoh's dream he was released from prison and he was made governor of all of Egypt. Like, that's crazy, the, the difference there. And these dreams that Pharaoh had, basically they meant that, that there would be seven years of abundance in the in the land, followed by seven years of severe and deadly famine. And Joseph had the idea to save food for the first seven years. And then, you know, for the, for the next seven years of of famine, you know, you'd have enough food to, you know, survive and stuff. So it was a great plan. Pharaoh liked it. And Pharaoh put him in charge, and that's how he became governor. And so this has been like a roller a ride for Joseph, but this is where he's at. Um, what he says is going to happen comes to be. There's seven years of abundance, and then where we are in the story is two years into that. So here we go. We got there. We made it. Thanks for following along. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 42, and if you don't have one, we got these, these blue Bibles on the floor. Uh, you can grab one of those, and if you want to, you can keep it. You know, put your name in it, write it in it, do whatever you want. Um, otherwise, the scripture will be on the screen. So open up to Genesis 42. If you have the blue Bibles, it'll be on page 21. Nailed it. So we're going to read the verse 6. So when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, "'Why do you look at one another?' And he said, "'Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt.'" Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was a governor of the land. He He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed themselves before him, And their faces to the ground. So, after this point, Joseph sees the brothers coming. They're, they're there. And Joseph recognizes that this is his brothers, the same ones that sold him into slavery. They're in front of him, but they don't recognize him. So he begins to find out about their lives. He, he finds out that, that his dad is still alive. He finds out that they're, they have another younger brother that was the full brother of Joseph. The same, a brother to to Joseph's mom, Rachel, which is a big deal because Joseph originally was the only son to Rachel. And so, basically, at this point, Joseph accuses them of being spies. He throws them into prison, and after they've been in prison for a few days, uh, we we see in in verse 18, he says this. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, talking about Joseph there. And what we saw, the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we didn't listen. That is why distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? We did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them. For there was an interpreter between them. And then he turned away from them and he wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So the brothers are thinking that they're getting punished for what they did to Joseph. So at this point, Joseph gives orders to his men to have, have the, the, the brothers' sacks filled with grain as they're leaving, but also to put the silver that they used to buy back into the, their sacks so it would look like they stole it. The brothers went home, and they told their father everything that had happened. They said, Dad, this guy who's in charge, is, he was kind of mean. He thought we were spies. We told him our story. We told him that, you know, we have a father back home, and we, ha- we have another brother. Um, and, and by the way, our brother Simeon is in prison And he says that the only way for us to come back and show our faces again is if we bring Benjamin with us. And this just broke Jacob. This broke Joseph's dad because he was wrecked when he lost Joseph. And this is just terrible news because now, in order for them to get grand again, in order for them to see Simeon again, their brother, Benjamin is going to have to go with them. And so, this takes us to chapter 43, and I'm going to summarize that for us, because it's a lot. We're not sure how much time has passed, but at the beginning of the chapter, we read that the famine is still bad in the land. Um, Jacob kind of seems to have forgotten what his sons told him about Benjamin having to be there, and he says, like, guys, we're running out of food. Go back to Egypt. Get some more food. And they're like, Dad, we, we have to bring Benjamin with us, don't you remember? And so... This causes some back and forth between Jacob and, his, and the, the sons. Um, ultimately, Jacob agrees. He's like, fine, you can take Benjamin with you, but, but make sure that you bring a whole bunch of gifts. Make sure that you bring extra silver to pay back what you accidentally stole so that we can be in good favor with this ruler. And also, he told them that if Benjamin were to die, that it would, it would literally cause Jacob to die. And so the brothers, they go back, to, they go back to, to Egypt. They talk to Joseph. And as Joseph sees them, he gives special instructions to have the brothers brought to his house, which terrifies the brothers because they're thinking, oh man, this is because we stole the silver. He's, he's going to bring us there and punish us. But Joseph, he says, no, don't be afraid. It was God that put the silver in your bags. And then he brought Simeon out. From the prison to them. At this point, Joseph asks them how their dad was doing, and their brother and Benjamin. And he realizes Benjamin's with them. And once he sees Benjamin for the first time, he goes and he weeps. He just loses it. And chapter forty four starts out with the brothers getting ready to head back. They've they've just feasted at Joseph's. Things seem to be going good again. But again, Joseph tells his steward to put silver back in their bags again along with this special cup. Apparently, like, rulers at that time had these special cups. <laughs> I don't really know that much about them. I just know that it's a big deal uh, if, if somebody's caught with these cups. <laughs> and so Joseph says, go and confront them. He's put the cup in Benjamin's bag, and they send the brothers away, and Joseph says, go confront them and, 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 and ask them why they've stolen the cup. And so they do, he does that. The steward does that. He goes and he confronts him about it, which takes us to verse 10. So let's open up to chapter 44, verse 10. Here we go. He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, talking about the cup, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack, and, the, and he searched. The steward searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. The brothers are freaking out at this point. Because they had just said that whoever's sack the cup was in would be a slave to Joseph. And now Benjamin, the one that if, if he dies... Their dad is going to literally die, has the cup. And so they're freaking out. And they, they, go back to, they go back to Egypt and find Joseph. And this is when Judah steps up. Judah is the same brother that in chapter 37 had the idea to sell Joseph into slavery. And I'm sure at this point, he's thinking about that. He's probably been thinking about it for the last 20 years of his life. Every day, it's probably haunted him that he's the one who had that idea. So Judah, he proceeds to plead with Joseph. He explains that the brothers had done everything that Joseph had told them to do. He's like, we did what you told us to do. And he also told Joseph that their father would be so broken by losing Benjamin that he would literally die. And then, in a beautiful act of love, Judah himself offers to stand in the place of Benjamin as a slave so that Benjamin could go back to his father. This takes us to chapter 45, which is where we're going to be camping today. We're going to read to verse 15. And then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is my father still alive. But his brothers could not answer them, for they were dismayed at his presence. These guys were terrified. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. They came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry or Tari, I don't really know how to pronounce that word. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come into poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you've seen, hurry and bring my father down here, then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. So basically the rest of the chapter and the rest of the story is that Pharaoh, he hears that Joseph's brothers have returned, and he's like, Man, the brothers, they're back. we gotta—we got we to gotta shower Egypt's riches on these guys. And so he, he says, Send wagons to, their, to jo- where Joseph's family lives so they can bring him to Egypt. And that's what happens. Joseph's brothers are sent with, with wagons to take all of their household to Egypt so they can be saved from the famine. And, and J- Joseph's brothers tell Jacob, Dad, our, your, our brother Joseph is alive. Can you believe that? He's, he's, he's not only alive, he's the ruler of Egypt. Also, I don't know if they called him dad, but I would have if I was there. That's why I'm doing it. So can you believe that Joseph is alive? And he doesn't believe it at first. He thinks it's, it's too good to be true. But then he sees the wagons. And, and he says in verse 28, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. And I will go see him before I die. Man, that is an awesome ending. Like, I think that we just feel so joyful when we, when we hear these stories, such amazing stories of forgiveness and reconciliation. Like, everybody loves a good story that ends in forgiveness. And it makes me happy just to think about the brothers reuniting, the picture of the brothers crying together after all of it. It hits me hard because I have brothers, like I said earlier, and, and I know how much they love me and I love them. What a picture of forgiveness and reconciliation and trusting God. But it easily could have ended differently. And it kind of would have expected it to end differently based on how Joseph's life went. Like how the heck was Joseph able to respond the way he did given his circumstances? Like why do I feel like even when my situation's pale in comparison to Joseph's, that my response is way worse than his? Why do I feel like even when I'm slightly inconvenienced in comparison to what Joseph went through, am I bitter at God? Why Why is it hard for me to forgive those who have wronged me? I think a lot of us struggle with this. But man, we can we can learn from Joseph's response. Like, what, what, was it, what was so special about Joseph and his response? What was his secret sauce? I think we'll find out that, that there is no secret sauce. But Joseph just trusted that God was always working for his good. So, what can we observe from Joseph's life that can help us to know how to respond in these difficult situations? I've kind of observed four things about Joseph's life and his response that that I think help us to know how to respond well when we are in difficult situations. The first observation is that Joseph grieved his pain. Painful situations are painful. They are so hard. It's natural and important to grieve painful situations. Joseph wept. And these weren't the kind of tears that I cry when I'm watching that commercial, you know, with with the grandpa like giving his granddaughter a car. <laughs> like, seriously, I've, I've cried at that commercial before, which, I don't know, maybe that makes me weird. But anyways, this is not these kind of tears. Joseph's tears were deep, coming from a deep place of just hurt. Throughout this story, we see him weeping. It wasn't the answer for Joseph just to pretend that his brothers hadn't hurt him. That's not how he was able to reconcile with his brothers. And he doesn't do that. He acknowledges that it was painful, and, and he lived with that. Sierra and I right now, we're walking through the hardest season of our life. A year and a half ago, her parents told us that they were getting a divorce. And it has just been so hard for us. It's not the answer for us to respond by saying it doesn't hurt us, pretending that it doesn't hurt. When Sierra is crying, it would be ridiculous for me to look over at her and say just pretend it didn't happen. No, like what's more healing in that moment is for me to just enter into her pain with her. It is it is natural and important to grieve pain. Because that's what's reality. Our second observation is that God shaped Joseph through his suffering. In chapter 45, verse 5, lost my page here. We read, And now do not be distressed, or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This is one of the first things that Joseph says to his brothers after, they re, after he reveals himself to them. It just blows my mind. That is not at all what I would expect. The same Joseph that in chapter 37 was, was rubbing the fact that he was the favorite in the faces of his brothers. It is clear that Joseph is a changed man at this point. And it's it's important that he's a changed man because I don't know if the situation would have ended the same way if it was the same prideful and arrogant Joseph. But God used his suffering to mold him into the man that God created him to be. He does that for us too. God loves using people that are humble. People who have nothing left to offer because it shows that it shows his power. When we are weak and God uses us to do amazing things, it shows that he's the one who's powerful and not us. And God loves using people like that. And Joseph was definitely humbled by his experiences. And he clearly shed an area of his life that dominated him as a child. So where else do we see this in the Bible? We see this with Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he was given a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being conceited. Man, if we thought about our suffering that way, that would be, that'd be crazy, but how powerful would it be? Paul said that he pleaded for God to remove that thorn, but he also recognized that, looking back later in his life, he recognized that it was that suffering that, that allowed him to be humble, to realize that when he's weak, that's when God is strong. That's when he's strong. The third observation is that Joseph trusted God. Joseph faithfully carried on, even when what was happening to him didn't make any sense. He trusted that God was working for his good in the midst of being sold by his brothers, by being accused of a terrible crime he didn't commit, and hopelessly forgotten in prison. And for Sierra and I, it's so hard to trust that God is working for our good when we are crying together because divorces tear families apart. But like Joseph, all we can do is faithfully carry on. And this last observation about his life, this is a hard one, is that it took 22 years for Joseph to see what God was doing in his life. He was 17 when he was sold by his brothers. 13 years later, is when he was released from prison, and then seven years of, of abundance, and then two years of famine later, he's, he's in this story, and he has a clear picture of what the heck was happening with his life. Why was all this terrible stuff happening? It took that long, and 22 years is a long time for someone to stay faithful to God when, it's, when, it's, when their circumstances are so hard and it's so unclear why they're happening. Many of us in this room are somewhere on that 22-year spectrum of Joseph's life. Whether we're hated by a family member, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, accused of what he didn't do, thrown into prison, forgotten by the very ones he blessed, and keeping his integrity and never becoming bitter at God. Man, and when we find ourselves on that spectrum, we often find ourselves completely confused because it's unclear why God was letting it happen in our lives. But like Joseph in this passage, you might just you might be about to find out what God has been doing for the last 22 years of your life, or maybe it's the last two semesters. You may be 11 years in and have 11 years left before you realize, before it's clear to you what God's been doing. Imagine if 11 years in, Joseph had just stopped. If he had stopped faithfully carrying on, It's possible that, you know, this story definitely wouldn't have ended the same way it ended. It's possible that hundreds of thousands of people wouldn't have been delivered from a famine. And ultimately, though, the truth is that you might not find out what God has been up to in this life. In the book of Job, there's a guy named Job, classic, who could give Joseph a run for his money for how much this dude suffered in his life. He was stripped of all of his possessions. He lost his family, his friends. His friends turned on him. And he also had like intense physical suffering. But the the difference is that he never found out in his life why all of it happened. I know to some of you that might sound like a cop-out. Like, seriously? That's your answer? Like, you're doing the whole, if you can't explain it now, maybe you'll just, You'll find out later when you're die- when you're dead <laughs> like that that's seriously that 's honestly a really good question. I think a healthy amount of skepticism is always welcome, especially when i 'm talking so <laughs> I welcome it uh, but asking that question what it does it reveals a mindset that we typically tend toward as humans, and that 's that this life what happens in this life is more important than what happens afterwards and it makes sense that we think this way because it's, all we, it's what we can see, what we can observe. So just imagine for a moment that life is eternal. That life goes on for infinity. One way that I've looked at it before is imagine that life is represented by a rope that stretches all the way around the entire world. That's eternal life. Imagine that that, that, that rope represents all of eternity. If you tried to model what this life would be on that rope, you know, if if it was a linear thing, it would be like the tiniest, infinitely small speck on that rope that makes up all of eternity. When you look at it that way, it's clear that that this life and what happens in it is negligible in comparison to what happens for eternity. That's why it's not a cop out to say that we may not be it may not be till heaven that we see how God redeemed our suffering. Not only is this life short in the scheme of eternity, but heaven provides us with our ultimate source of hope as we're about to see. So no matter where you are in that 22-year spectrum, all you can do is carry on, faithfully trusting in a loving God, which is so, so hard. So all these observations we made about Joseph's life are super powerful, and they personally, they help me to know how to respond when life sucks, because it will. But there's actually a more important comparison in this story. That we can't miss. Like, if you've been half paying attention this whole time, this is the time to pay attention. Please don't miss this. There's a group in the story that, in a lot of ways, has the same circumstances as every human that has ever lived, and everybody in this room, including me. This group I'm talking about is everybody in the story that has seven years of famine in front of them. We really are like these people, like Joseph's family. With seven years of severe famine in front of them, their reality is that they're going to die unless somebody rescues them. You may not know this, but as humans, from the moment we're born, we have a similar but far worse reality in front of us. That our reality is that because of our circumstances, if someone doesn't rescue us, we have an eternity of unimaginable suffering in front of us. That situation is more hopeless than anything that Joseph experienced in his life. And it's true for every human that's ever lived and everybody in this room. And I know that's like a super heavy thing to say. And it could even be offensive. But it's It's true. I know that, man, I'm sure this, the people at the time, if you were to tell them that there was a famine coming, maybe they wouldn't have believed you. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. So I'm going to carefully look through the Bible. I'm going to use the Bible to show that without a rescuer, we have a truly hopeless reality in front of us. Guys, we are all sinners. You don't need to look far from this story to see that. The pride of Joseph, the favoritism of Jacob, and the jealousy and the malice of the brothers. Guys, if you're like me, when we, were, when we were reading that story and hearing about it, I resonated with like all three of them immediately. It was not hard for me to see how I was like them in their sin. And I'm sure you were similar. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, as it is written, there is no unrighteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It is not in our nature to be like Jesus, guys. I know that that verse, what I just read, it sounds harsh. I don't think it's too far-fetched. Just think about the worst thought that you've ever had, and it probably wasn't even that long ago that you thought it, if, if you're like me. It's clear to us that we, in our, in our nature, are not perfect. We're not like Jesus. Nobody is perfect. I've never asked somebody that question, hey, do you think anybody's perfect? And they say, yes, somebody, this guy. Nobody says that. We all know. And guys, we need Jesus to come and rescue us from our sin because an eternity of unimaginable suffering is ahead of us. The price of our sin is death. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. To sin against an eternal God results in an eternal punishment. Without a rescuer, this is our helpless reality. We're just like those people who have seven years of certain death in front of them without a rescuer. God, this is real life. I'm just going to let that sink in for a second. This is bad news. It's literally the worst news you could ever get. Without a rescue, we're like the people in the world at the time of Joseph who have certain death in front of them. The story of Joseph, though, doesn't end in hopelessness. As we know and have read, the story ends in God using Joseph, using the suffering of Joseph to deliver an entire nation through it. And similarly, our story as humans doesn't end in hopelessness, guys. Just as God delivered the people at that time through the famine, through the suffering of a man, Joseph, God has a bigger plan. He had a bigger plan to deliver all of humanity and everybody in this room through our reality, our hopeless reality that we have an eternal suffering in front of us. And he did that through the suffering of his own son, Jesus. It's clear that Jesus is the ultimate Joseph. Like Jesus, like Joseph, Jesus didn't deserve what happened to him. He was perfect. And he had to be to pay the price for our sins because we know that God requires perfection. He was the only human to walk the earth who didn't deserve an eternity of pain and suffering. The suffering of Jesus for our salvation was worse, far worse than what just our world could offer. Worse than anything that Joseph or Job went through. First, you had the physical pain. Jesus was stripped naked, tortured, ridiculed, and hung on a cross. I could talk for 30 minutes about how terrifying and grueling his death was. Just go watch Passion of the Christ if you if you want a picture of, of what physical pain looks like. But on top of that, what was worse was the spiritual pain. Jesus took on the wrath that was due to the sins of all of humanity. It paid the price for the sins ever committed by any human who's ever lived. Just think about that for a second. We already said earlier is that the price for my sin is an eternity of unimaginable suffering. And Jesus took that punishment on himself. He experienced that in a moment. And now multiply that by the billions and billions of people that have ever lived because he didn't just die for me. He died for all of you as well. I can't imagine. It is it is beyond our understanding the pain that Jesus went through for us. And what was worse is that it was his own dad that poured the wrath out on him. And this is the part that always gets me the hardest. I put myself in Jesus' shoes, and I can't imagine looking up at my own dad, a man who loves me so much, and I know loves me so much, and knowing that he has to pour out his wrath on me for something that I didn't even do. I can't imagine the pain that that must have brought We see earlier that that Jacob, when he lost his son, he was wrecked. Do we realize that, that God did the same thing? But Jesus knew that God was using his suffering and his sacrifice to save all of humanity. And ultimately, his plan came to be. God saved humanity through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He saved everybody in this room. And if we truly believe that the life and death of Jesus paid the price for our sins and that Jesus is God, then we'll be saved from our sins in an eternity of pain. But if we don't believe it, we are we're rejecting our rescuer. God used the worst thing that could ever happen in Joseph's life to save all the people in the world at that time. in the same way God used the worst situation that could ever happen in mankind, which is that God came to earth and we killed him. That is literally the worst thing that could ever happen in in the history of mankind. And God used that to save everybody in this room and to deliver us as well as all of humanity through an eternity of suffering, through a famine that is in front of us. Guys, guys, This is the strongest evidence that there is no situation in this room that God cannot redeem for his children, for those that trust in him. Our ultimate hope in Jesus equips us to carry on in the worst situations this world can offer. And if you don't know Jesus or don't get how his life and death and resurrection can give you hope too, please just talk to one of us. Talk to Timmy, talk to me, talk to Dylan or Lindsay or lots of other people could could help you, could point you in the right direction and help you to realize that Jesus can be your ultimate hope because he already did all that for you. He suffered for you. He entered that, that place of hopelessness so that nobody in this room would ever have to be hopeless again. Let's pray. God, we... Are so thankful that we have a God like you. God, there's so many things about this story that can encourage us. But ultimately, I need reminded every day that that you loved me so much that you were willing to die the most painful death we could ever imagine on a cross for me and for everybody in this room. God, I need that reminder. Because that truth is what ultimately is going to get me through the painful situations that arise in my life. And I know that they will arise. God, there's a lot of pain in this room. But God, if we are trusting in you, we can have have more hope than there is pain. Because you already redeemed our Utterly hopeless situation. God, I pray that if if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, that they would just have the confidence to, to ask. God, we love you so much. Thank you for for providing us with the strongest evidence that you love us. And the strongest evidence that there's no situation too terrible for you to redeem. We love you. Amen.